I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group. We are Jobs Podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. And today we got Ryan Cup with us. He is the director of Shreveport Next, which is an effort in Shreveport, Louisiana, to create economic growth. So, Ryan, welcome to our show. Yeah, I appreciate that, Chad. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you got started over in Mississippi, worked for Mississippi Development Authority, and interned in Tupelo and they sure know what they're doing made your way all the way to Oregon so just walk us through your background in economic development what really interests you in this profession I started my career in economic development kind of unknowingly at CDF I interned at Community Development Foundation in Tupelo Mississippi one summer when I was in college and just for a summer and was really interested in what they were doing and wanted to learn a little more about that and got involved there. And then after school, went to go work at the Mississippi Development Authority and I think was able to carry a lot of that experience from Community Development Foundation to MBA. And then my wife and I got married and thought that we wanted to go and live out west and kind of try our hand out there and ended up being able to move to Bend, Oregon and lived in Bend. And I worked in economic development there for a few years. And then one of our donors at that economic development organization was a manufacturer that said, hey, we've got a sales manager position. We'd love for you to come and work with us and apply some of these skills to a manufacturer directly. And so that was really awesome to get to work in a manufacturer and for a manufacturer and and work for Entreprise Climbing Walls for a couple of years and before coming back to the land of sweet tea and, and good food and ended up in Shreveport, Louisiana, doing Shreveport Next. Not many people have done economic development in the most southern of states, Mississippi, and then been to Oregon. Did you find that they do economic development far differently than how you were trained, or is it the same fundamentals, or how did you just find that difference in geography? Yeah, I think the building blocks of all economic development are going to be the same everywhere you go, and the principles of we've got to 
improve the lives of the people that live in our community by providing career opportunities for them. And the way that we kind of see doing that is you've got to make sure that you're retaining the companies that are here, retaining the existing companies. You got to bring new companies in to keep growing that pot. And then you've also got to grow your own and really focus on that entrepreneurship and encourage the people in your community to start businesses and grow businesses where they're rooted already. And I think making that shift from Mississippi to Oregon, the biggest difference that I noticed was how focused they were on the entrepreneurship side. And that's something that I wasn't really exposed to at MBA. Um, I think Community Development Foundation does a good job in nurturing entrepreneurs in their community. But for me, when I was at MBA, all I was doing was big manufacturing projects, a lot of foreign direct investment, these really large locations. And out in Oregon, I think there was a much greater focus and something they do really well is nurturing that entrepreneurial community and making sure that those companies are supported. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I just think that most people have backgrounds in one or the other. Obviously, your time with Mississippi Development Authority, you were doing the big industries. That's kind of my background. I have never had much entrepreneurial background other than when I started my own business. I had to learn it my own way. But but when I was in economic development, I never participated a lot in, in helping foster that. And so uh, as a young guy, you've got a pretty interesting background having done both that probably uniquely comes together with what y'all are trying to do at Shreveport next. Yeah, I think that that background has been so beneficial to the work that I'm doing and we're doing here in Shreveport now. Um, so Shreveport next focuses on really small SMEs, small medium manufacturers that are looking to add capacity or move capacity and we go and meet with them. But now I'm in a role where we're not focusing on the big fish. I don't go and meet with companies that may be looking to open a new OEM or someone that's going to employ 3,000 people. That's not the at-bats that we're taking. We're trying to go and meet with small, high-growth companies. And so I think that background of the entrepreneur side and understanding how companies are growing and what's required for them to grow and what tools can you bring to the table as an economic development organization, but still the true recruitment background of being able to go and find someone who needs to change locations or add a new location and work with them to do that. Talk about the Shreveport Bossier region. So, you know, most people have heard of Shreveport. They might not really have a sense of how big it is, but it's actually the third largest municipal area in the state of Louisiana after Baton Rouge, New Orleans. So just talk about that area and all the different advantages you all have. A lot of people don't know a lot about Shreveport. And I'll be honest, I didn't know a lot about Shreveport before I came here. It's, not Cajun and not Cowboy is kind of what we like to say. We're situated in the northwest corner of Louisiana, about 18 miles from the Texas border, about 30, 35 miles from the Arkansas border. Within our metro region, we've got about 500,000 people and a really strong, diverse economy right now. Parksdale Air Force Base is in Bossier, which is home to the 8th Air Force and Global Strike Command. We've got a full medical research university. We have three hospital systems that operate here. We have a strong manufacturing base in metals and downstream materials, in addition to some higher tech stuff with companies doing pharmaceutical production, or we have a large helicopter company here too. So pretty interesting place, really well connected to the world around us, but maybe not what people always think of when they think of Louisiana. 
Well, I know there's a regional organization up in North Louisiana that kind of does chase the big fish like you talked about. And so I think it's interesting that your organization is really chasing the small to midsize industries, which, you know, a midsize company can have two or 300 employees. I mean, you know, these days that's considered midsize. So why don't you kind of talk about the different things that your expertise can bring to the table for them. And I know y'all have some private money too. So you're not just set up totally government. And I think you've got a lot of things set up that the small to mid-sized companies will appreciate. I think when they talk to you and look at Shreveport, they might be able to see themselves easier than the big fish might. Yeah. I think that one thing that BRF does really well is kind of look at everything through the lens of private industry. Our CEO, so Shreveport Next is a division of the BRF in Shreveport. And the BRF CEO has a background in industry and has started a business and run a business and been successful in the private world. And uh, we have a team of financial analysts on staff and almost all of them have worked outside of nonprofit work or economic development work before they came into doing this work now. And so a lot of our team comes with industry background and tries to focus and look at every project that we work through an industry lens. We look at companies that are typically 500 or fewer employees and probably 200 million or less in revenue is kind of where our sweet spot is. And we have a lot of tools to do things that are kind of in addition to the traditional economic development quiver. And of course, LED is a good partner, Louisiana Economic Development, and they bring resources to the table and they're the statutory incentives that the state brings kind of from that advantage lens and the fast start program here in Louisiana is really strong, really good workforce training program. But, you know, frankly, those are things that you get anywhere in the state of Louisiana. And I think what Shreveport Next and the BRF do that's really unique is our ability to bring capital to the table and participate in projects. I think that we're not the ones that have to go and try and find some money somewhere else. A lot of times we have those resources to try and help a company within our own coffers and our own organization. And I think it's really interesting because what that means for us is not only do we go and meet with companies that are growing and young companies that are adding capacity, but if there is a family-owned business maybe that have a founder and single owner who's ready to go home and ready to retire, but doesn't want to see all those people go out of work, we can help the management do leverage buyout for that kind of thing. We have the ability to build a building for a company to help backload a lease so that your cash flow looks better from the first two years. The off your balance sheet from the debt side and then the cash that you're putting out can be kind of levelized to help sure that those first 24 months that are so critical when you're starting a new facility that you're not spending more than you have to, I guess. Thank you, Ryan. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back with a lot more with Ryan Culp right after this. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what? 
sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most, it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other bills and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com, book yourself a demo and see if this can help your community have more success. You know, it's funny, Mississippi's known as probably having some of the most aggressive industrial recruiters for a long time. I mean, back in a, you know, 50 year tradition, it has of really industrializing itself. And so uh, you've obviously got that background and then you just add to it. I think working for a manufacturing company brings a unique skill that you have. Talk about what you learned. First of all, tell people about the rock climbing company because a lot of people like to climb those things. You can look at me and tell I like to eat a little too much to do that. But people can visualize what that is. Just talk about what you learned working for a manufacturer, selling stuff. And a lot of economic developers, I find, want to know more about how the manufacturers think. And I think probably you probably understand that having done that. And maybe you can give folks sales tips into really being able to speak manufacturing, if that makes any sense. It's a huge advantage. I feel that way really strongly. I think working at MDA gave me a really good background of kind of book learning of manufacturers, maybe what their pain points are. And I could kind of go to the talking points and say, well, yeah, I understand that we want to focus on how are we receiving raw materials and that we're not paying too much for shipping and whatever incentive package we're putting together is going to help you when you're trying to recognize revenue off of your whip. What it's kind of all about is recognizing that revenue. But I think it was all just kind of from a textbook level, kind of academic level of understanding. And so working for a manufacturer, you got to see that firsthand. So Entrepreneurs Climbing Walls is the world's oldest and largest, depending on how you slice it, climbing wall company. They build climbing walls for universities and big climbing gyms all over the world, manufacturing sites in Asia, two in Europe, and one in North America, which is in Bend. And so my team worked out of the Bend office and for the primarily selling work for the North American market, North American manufacturing facility. But just so interesting to understand from the sales side, working in a manufacturer, how that flow of work kind of comes in and goes out. And it's not just about, well, how much is your power rate? And is that important? And I think seeing firsthand and having firsthand experience. Yes, the power is important and we're going to talk about that. We're going to address that. But how does the space flow? How does it lay out? How is your process going to work in a space? How are you going to receive materials, not just from wherever they're coming? How are you receiving your own materials, not just from somewhere else, but how are you receiving them into the space? And how do you make sure that that's an efficient process and we're helping you with a really efficient process? I'm talking a lot about the raw material side, but all of our wood for our climbing walls came from Europe and all of our, and our steel came from all over. It was just so interesting to get to see all those pieces come together from the labor side. And do you have people that are actually qualified to run the CNC machine? When the CNC machine's not running, whole process stops. So it's so important to know that it's not just in theory of, yeah, I understand you need someone to be able to run this machine, but to know that how important specific roles can be to a company and then helping them even find those people. 
So uh, we've had David Rumbarger on our show from Tupelo, and uh, we talk a lot about them being kind of a model for economic development. So as a young kid, I guess in college, is that when you were, when you interned? What did you really learn from working in that shop at a young age? Oh, so much. I listened to David's podcast that you did with him and really enjoyed that. And I mean, the attention to detail that comes out of CEF is really amazing. I think that's something I learned is how to read an RFP for detail and how to respond with detail and appropriate detail. And that means that you don't have to sell or show them everything right away because they're not asking for all that. So how do you respond appropriately and make sure that the questions someone's asking are the questions you're answering? Just like a little kind of tidbit that I think David said on your show, there's something they said when I was there was win the visit, win the project. So it's kind of taking it day by day and not getting overwhelmed of thinking about the whole thing, but knowing, you know, keep your head down, do the next thing to make sure that you're providing the best answers, giving the best experience to a prospect. And we have a good bit of young up and comers that listen to our show. And so uh, while they can't see your face, you're one of the youngest guests we've had. You've risen up the ranks really quickly and listen to you, they're probably going to assume you're older than you are because you sound mature and have experiences. So what tips might you give? Let's say there's a 25 to 26 year old project manager out there working for a big organization or state, just getting themselves started. What have you learned along the way? What tips would you give them to be able to rise up quickly? I would say kind of two things, one on the skill side and one on the personal side. I think from the skill side, you've got to learn the finance behind it all. You've got to learn how to do a deal, how to read income statements, how to look at a balance sheet, how to do a sources and uses of funds when you're putting together an incentive package. That's the thing I think that will take you further than anywhere in this business. I'm young. I'm not the most experienced person you've had on the podcast, but I think that a lot of people would agree with me that you have to be able to understand what you're putting on the table is actually going to impact a project and you have to understand the finances of a company and just understand the finances of a deal really. The second part of that, I would say, find a mentor and find someone that you can call and you can just be really honest about maybe not knowing something and say, hey, I don't know. Can you walk me through it? And that's someone for me that's not been a boss, not someone who I have to go and directly report to, but someone that maybe I've worked with in the past that I know has my best interest. And I think that would be my two things is make sure you know how to do the money and find someone that will kind of help walk with you along the way. Thank you, Ryan. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back with a lot more with Ryan Culp right after this. In June of 2020, Next Move Group launched a new initiative called The Movement, and we already have more than 100 economic developers as part of our movement. The movement was really built to help improve the quality of lives of economic developers. It helps economic developers land more deals, helps them get along better with their board and elected officials, helps them deal with the media, even helps them learn how to build their resume if they want to look for a new job. So thank you to our first 100 members, and if you want to join the movement, go to thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement to learn more and on the finance side how did you learn that was it a college course did somebody teach you or how did you actually learn those skills well a couple of different things for especially what we're doing here at Shreveport next because we're not afraid to take an equity position in companies so that's kind of a unique thing that we can do here and so for us, our finance team, I think the skills that we have to have extend beyond the traditional 
economic development finance skills of understanding how taxes will impact or how incentives will impact tax liabilities or how you can offset that cost of the infrastructure that a project might need built out. So I learned in three steps. I think when I was in college, I was a business major, but was really fortunate enough to get selected to the TBA investment panel at Mississippi State University. So TBA investment panel takes a small group, like 12 students, and they manage a small portion of real money. It's not a lot of money. It's $500,000, but you have $500,000 that you have in a fund that you have to manage in publicly traded equities. And so that was real world experience. And there's actually something that can go wrong. It's not funny money, it's real money of, of learning at that point how to read balance sheets, how to comb through a 10K, how to learn kind of the public finance side and just general finance, I would say. And then working at MDA, I got a lot of exposure and working with a lot of really good economic developers there. And they were kind enough to talk to me about how to do sources and uses of funds and how do you do that? How do you think about that? How do you look at that? And so that was kind of trial by fire, real world experience. And then on the equity side, when I was in Bend, Oregon, that organization is a regional group, but they had an angel conference and angel fund that's kind of associated with that organization. So I got to learn the equity kind of angel side, private side working there. So I think every place I've gone has taught me a new skill. It's been in that order. But you started learning in college. So TVA, how did they choose you? Dig into that. That's pretty interesting to me. Yeah, you make an application and it's not limited to business majors, but you kind of make an application and talk about what your background and a little bit of knowledge is on investing and have you invested before and what have your returns been? Can you talk through your process? And then you go through an interview process with uh, faculty at Mississippi State and a tenured finance professor is kind of the head of that program. And you go through an interview process with previous normally graduating members of that panel and the professor that's in charge, really similar to a job interview. And they look at what's the knowledge that you have. Are you going to be able to come in walking, maybe not running, but come in with some skills and knowledge to bring something to the table? My grandfather got me into investing in stocks when I was 18. And so I had some background of being able to look at that and think about that. So I had a little bit of knowledge to talk about. Well, I had no idea they had, I would have been highly interested in that. I went to Mississippi State too. I never heard of it. So I think that is a great program. So what really drives you now? I mean, is it the thrill of doing the deal? Is it the analyzing the financials? Other than obviously having a career and getting paid every Friday or whatever, what gets you out of bed every morning excited about this? I'm a salesman at heart and going and hunting and killing and bringing home a deal. I mean, that drives me. The idea of going out and being able to find a company that needs help and identifying them and identifying those needs and identifying how we can help and communicating that, that's really exciting to me. I love getting to work with companies and be company facing and going to meet with companies. I think that's the most exciting part of my job. I believe that the work that we do matters, Chad. I mean, I think that economic development is an important field and something that actually makes a difference in people's lives. And you can see that play out over long periods of time, but in real time. So I think that's what's motivating me more than anything. I mean, I like to get up and I like to do the deals, but I also think that the work we do actually matters. Well, sounds good. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Come and visit us in Shreveport. Happy to show you around and we can show you everything that this area has to offer. 
it give these folks the website so they can check you out. And it really is a very unique model. Basically, it's an organization that's had tremendous success over the years uh, in a variety of different levels as far as just creating good economic growth things happen that's now really taking a taking a whole charge to pursue small to mid-sized companies so i think y'all are going to have a whole lot of success and i'm finding more and more communities are looking at different economic development models so give these folks your website let them learn about more what y'all are doing shreveportnext.com is the shreveport next website or brfla.org is the brf's website if you want to learn about all the divisions that we have we don't want to give away too many secrets, but we're happy to share what we can and try and make the community a little bit better. Sounds good. Well, I can't let you get away without asking if you think Mississippi State will win any more football games. Do we have our one moment in the sun in Baton Rouge? I think I'd be in real trouble if I didn't at least try and say that they would beat Ole Miss this year. So I've got to at least cross my fingers and think we'll win that one. Yeah, I agree, but I'll believe it when I see it. I always have hope for that one, though, but it's not looking good. All right. Well, Ryan, thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate it.